Bibles tonight, and we'll open up to um, 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to try to pick up, maybe do a little more teaching tonight, um, back along this Antichrist uh, thing, and try to get through maybe six or eight of these guys tonight. I'm not going to try to go too deep. Um, but I think it's important. I think in the day and age in which we live... There is deception all around us, and there are things that are being said, well, this is God, and this is God, and they're not God at all. And I think it's important that you as believers are able to identify what's God and what's not God. And the Bible will clearly lays out what it, who is the Lord and, and what, he, what He teaches, and the devil does a good job trying to counterfeit that thing. Um, the greatest heresy is all truth and 1% lie. Um, and, it, and that's the world you live in. The devil has gotten slicker and slicker and slicker at disguising truth and disguising right from wrong and putting people into situational ethics. And, well, I mean, in this situation, it's okay. Well, if it's only good in that situation, there must be something, something you're doing is shading the truth one way or the other. And, and Christians have gotten good at alibying their reasons for what they do instead of being able to say, well, the Word of God says... Um, and is the girl saying the Bible is what stands, and that's what you should be standing upon. So we're going to look at a, um, one of these types of Antichrist to jump off. We're going to start with Solomon. It says in verse number 1 of 1 Kings chapter 3, it says, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David, until he had made an ending of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about him. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built under the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Brother Brad, would you pray and ask the Lord to bless the message? Amen. Please be praying. I know we got a lot of folks that are out sick, um, so please, please don't forget, remember those folks in your prayers, and also pray for the folks that are driving back tonight. Um, Preacher and Miss Peacock will be driving back tomorrow, so pray they get a good night's rest and they're ready to head home. Um, just say that as way of an announcement. So it's, I, I thought we would pick up with Solomon tonight because Solomon starts where we left off with the morning message. It's amazing to me that Solomon has a dad like David, a man after God's own heart, and one of the first moves that Solomon makes when he is brought to the throne is to go to the one place he's not supposed to go to, to secure his throne. He, he gets on the throne and he immediately goes down to Egypt and marries an Egyptian wife. Well, why? Like your dad is a man after God's own heart. He's pointed you to the Lord, showed you the Lord, and all of those things. And he immediately goes to the one place he's not supposed to go. And you find in Solomon's life, Solomon had all of these gifts. Remember, I mean, Solomon's the wisest man in all the world, what Jesus says about him. 
he writes all of these things, and yet I find in Solomon a man who takes everything God gives him and uses it for his own devices. He uses it. Now I get he built Solomon's temple, and he built a great temple of the Lord, and there's a great church services about, what the, about the Lord coming down and the Shekinah glory and all of those things. But at the end of Solomon's life, Solomon has accumulated things for himself more than he's done things for the Lord. When you look back over Solomon's life, besides him building Solomon's temple, tell me how many other great things. Tell me the battles that he fought that he won for the Lord. Tell me, tell me where he carried the gospel to. Tell me where he took the message of, of, the, of the God of Israel to. Tell me, tell me the things he did in a spiritual sense. You can't find them. Most of what Solomon does is about him and his glory. I mean, people come from all over the world to see Solomon because of his wisdom and because of his ability to read situations, not because of the God of Solomon, but because of Solomon's own abilities. And so turn over to 1 Kings chapter 10, and let me show you some things about Solomon. And I find that, that this is, in my opinion, I, I see this happening with, with Bible believers. That Bible believers have gotten the Word of God, they have an understanding of the Word of God, and then they turn around and use the Word of God to make merchandise for themselves. They turn around to build things up, to do things for themselves, to help better themselves, to help grow their own nest, to help them be better, and not necessarily do the things of God. Solomon, it says in 1 Kings chapter 10, it says, uh, look in verse 11, it says, In the navy also of Hiram uh, brought gold from Ophir, brought in Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. Look at verse 13. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her his royal bounty, so she turned and went her own country and her servants. Now the weight of gold that, that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. He got 666 talents of gold. Last time I checked, that ain't a real good number to have. But it gets worse. Look down at verse 24. It says, And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold and garments and armor and spices, horses and mules, a rate, by year, by, a, a rate year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 12, horsemen whom he bestowed on his cities for chariots, and with the king of Jerusalem, and the king made silver to be at Jerusalem as stones, and cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt, and linen yarn. The king's merchants received the linen at, the, at, at, a, at a price, yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver, and a horse for 150. So for all the kings of the Hittites and for all the kings of Assyria did they bring them out by their means. But King Solomon loved many strange women together by the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go unto them, neither shall you come unto, come unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was his heart of David his father. And it goes on down and talks about the things he ordered. Now why does that matter? Turn over to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 17. Solomon took everything he had and used it to his own benefit. He used it for his own glory. He used it for all of his own stuff. 
he wasn't really interested in giving back to God. I realize he built a temple. I realize he did something great. And he's remembered for Solomon's temple. But in the reality of it, Solomon lived a life that was very carnal in nature. Very, very physical, very fleshly. Didn't said no to nothing. And look in, look in Deuteronomy chapter 17, look in verse 14. It says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, shalt thou possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou, shalt thou set a king over thee, that thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. That's all four things Solomon did. He multiplied silver, he multiplied gold, he went and got him some strange women, and he went and got some horses out of Egypt. The four things God said as a king, don't go do, he went and did. And if you go on down to that passage in Deuteronomy, it says as a king, he's supposed to write the law in his own hand so that he doesn't depart from the law. He was required to write out all of those books of the law so he knew the law and God could hold him accountable for it. And Solomon goes, yeah, 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 I, I get it, but man, look, look at what I got access to. And I think about that in our lives and in, in the world you live in today, you have access to stuff God never intended for you to have access to. You allow things to come into your home simply because it's there and it's available to you. You realize that Solomon gets to the end of his life, and what does he say in the book of Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This, there is nothing that Solomon had and experienced that is not as far as you can possibly go in a carnal nature. This guy had every fleshly lust and desire that anyone could ever want or have, and he gets to the end of his life and he says, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. And yet for some reason as Christians, we, we want to pursue the world, we want to go after worldly things because we think we'll be different than Solomon. We think that, well, I mean, I, I know how it turned out for him, but I can handle it. We talked about that this morning, you can't handle it. It always has a handle on you. What is the old saying? Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, cost you more than you ever pay. And it'll leave you lonely and, and uh, what's the rest of that song? I can't remember anyway. But sin will always take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll always take you down a road that you never intended to go down that road. You, you, oh, I'm just going to detour here. Well, that detour always turns into a train wreck before it's over with. It always winds up costing you more than you wanted to pay. And here's a guy, here's a guy who had the opportunity to... Now, he, I realize he's still in the lineage of Christ... But he has opportunity, like his father, to pass on the sure mercies of David to his son. And he's like, yeah, my kids can handle their own business. I'm going to handle, my own. I'm going to handle mine. What's he thinking? He's not. He's thinking about himself. Because the attribute of Antichrist is lift yourself up, put me on the throne. It says in Revelation that he will come into the temple of God and show himself that he is God. He's showing himself, I'm the God. I'm the God of this world. Well, every time you choose your will over the will of Jesus Christ, you're showing yourself that you're God and you're sitting in the temple of God. 
The throne of your heart. Jesus Christ saved you and gave you your heart back and said you can do with it what you want. I've got your soul, but you can live however you want to live. What an unbelievable, kind gesture to allow you and I to choose how you want to live after salvation. Amen. And yet, there, there should be reciprocation. It should be like, you know what, Lord, appreciate the offer, but you can have it back. But oftentimes, you take it and you go, you know what, appreciate that. Thanks for salvation. Thanks for the fire insurance. I'm good. Let's go on out and don't worry about it. You know, what, what do people say when something at their house is falling apart? Well, I got insurance. Really, that's the reason you have insurance, so that you don't have to take care of your stuff? You buy insurance so that, no, you buy insurance so that in case something catastrophic occurs, you're covered. That's the reason you have insurance. Not so that you don't have to manage anything. That's so that you don't have to care for it. You, you, you don't buy insurance so you can be lazy. Amen. No, you buy insurance as just a, I hope I never need this. I mean, every, everybody gets insurance hoping they never have to file a claim. I mean, I've, I've never got up in the morning going, man, I hope a water pipe breaks today. Right. You know, driving works. It would be nice if somebody rear in me, I could use a new car. But you live in a world where that's a, that's a thought now. That's a, you know, somebody bumps you at a red light. Oh, my neck, my neck, call the, call the, call the EMT, I'm dying here. Everybody wants something for nothing. They're out, they're out for me, 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 me. Well, that's Solomon. Solomon's me, 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 me. Just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And you fend for yourself. Because you know what happens to Solomon's sons? Solomon, Solomon's son, who becomes king, Rehoboam, Instead of listening to the old men and going, hey, don't follow the path of your dad, take a different path, he doubles down on what, he, what his dad did and he loses the kingdom. Because the example he had was a bad example and he winds up splitting the kingdom and the, and the kingdom stays split and will stay split until Jesus Christ comes back and puts the thing together again. But you and I will split our own kingdoms because I want my way and I want it now. It's the, what is the old Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way? Your way stinks. It, it boggles my mind when I read about the stuff that's going to happen in the tribulation and how man will have seen his wickedness and see his downfall and see all the things the Antichrist does. And when the Lord himself comes back, he shakes his fist at him and says, we don't want you. Well, that's truly no different practically than what you do in your own life when God goes, hey, would you please do this? And you go, I don't want you. I'm not doing that. I've got something better. That's, that's literally what you're doing is shaking your fist at a holy God and going, ah, it's just not what I want. I want my way. Well, that's Solomon. Solomon had everything you could possibly ever have. Had, I mean, there's nobody in the world today that has the financial wealth that Solomon had. Solomon could have owned the entire world with his wisdom and wealth and what he had. And he, you know, he, he, built, a, he built a nice kingdom. He built a navy. I mean, Israel never had a navy, and he, and he built a navy. He, I mean, he that was a global power. No, nobody, he didn't lose a battle while he was king. It's pretty amazing. And yet, at the end of his life, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If, the, if that's his testimony, how about going, you know what, if that's his testimony, maybe I ought to find a different way than what he did. Maybe I ought to live a, maybe I ought to live a different direction. But turn over to Daniel chapter 3, and we'll look at another guy. Daniel chapter 3. God by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 
And there's a lot of things you could say about Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm not going to try to dwell on every single point of these. I'm, I'm just trying to give you the top. But look in, look in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score and the breadth of six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image with Nebuchadnezzar the king had set. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before that image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald a cry, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and language, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Nebuchadnezzar's problem was, worship me. Just look at me. Wasn't that the problem of society today? Look at me. The selfie generation. What the preacher says, the duck lips. <laughs> to, to what end? Self-worship. I'm, I'm the king of my own name. I'm the queen of my life. I, I rule it. You, you got men thinking they're queens and women thinking they're kings. And, you know, it's insanity. Amen. But they've set themselves up as an image and they've said, worship my image. Right. Look, look at me. Here, I've got this many followers, this many people. They're influencers. I saw some news article the other day. Some lady got kicked off of a plane because she was an influencer. Well, you don't know who I am. I have whatever it was. I don't know, 70,000 followers. It means you have 7,000 morons. You have 70,000 idiots who hope that, that, that because you follow them, that you'll follow them and vice versa and back and forth so you both can make money off of each other. Because there's a bunch of stupid people that click on that stuff and think, well, look at all the followers he's got, so he must be famous. They want popularity, they want notoriety, they want a reputation, and they'll do anything they can to have it, and there's nothing behind it. There, there literally is of no value behind that stuff whatsoever that provides anything to you in a spiritual sense or even a physical sense. Do you realize that, that anxiety and antidepressant meds are at an all-time high above what they've ever been since the, since the institution of social media? Do you realize that you're having kids commit suicide because of in social media influences and somebody said something about this and somebody said something about so-and-so and, you know, you did this and I, what was it? A couple years ago, there was a court case where a girl went to jail because she influenced some kid to kill himself. Some kid saw what somebody wrote online and took his own life. That's sad. It's a me generation. It's all about me. Just look at me. Look at me. Well, that's, Neb that's Nebuchadnezzar. It, it hasn't changed 600 years before Christ. 2,600 years ago, there's a guy going, look at me. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing, there's nothing new happening now that we've not seen before the Bible doesn't have. Dr. Ruckman I, used to say it all the time to us. He'd say, you know what? The, Bi the, the world is trying to catch up to the Bible. The Bible is three to 400 years ahead of where everybody else is. A thousand years, if you count the millennium, ahead of where everybody else is. The Lord's looking back over this thing, writing the entire Bible. He's not writing it as it happens. He's looking back from a seated position going, yep, that happens, that happens, that happens, that happens. And he's watching the whole thing unfold and he put it in a book and he goes, okay, you want to know how it ends? Here's how it ends. And you want to know how to get through it and escape it? Here's how it goes. You just go through it. But he loves himself above God. He desires the worship of other people and only a supernatural intervention can stop him. 
Nebuchadnezzar didn't change until he saw the Son of God walking in the fire with the three Hebrew children. You want to stop loving yourself? You want to stop desiring the worship of other people? You want, to st- you want to be what God wants you to be? It's going to take a supernatural intervention. It's going to take a meeting with the Son of God and going, you know what? That's the God of gods. And all of a sudden you realize that you're not anything and He's everything. But that's what it's going to take. That's, that's what it's going to take in your life on a day-to-day basis to go, you know what? He's right and I'm wrong. It's humbling yourself. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Draw an eye to Him and He'll draw an eye to you. Too often times we draw an eye to everything else before we're not drawn out to Jesus Christ. Well, I'll, I'll try a little of this. I'll try a little of that. I'll try this. I'll try some of that. No, try Jesus Christ and let the rest of it go away. Paul says we're to be simple concerning evil. I mean, you know, if I just study it out, if I just look at it, if I just understand it. There's a, a Bible school that I saw one time online. They offered a class in demonology. I'm like, what? What? Are we, is a Baptist school? I'm like, are we exorcists now? Have me excused. I, I don't need to know anything about casting out a demon other than run away. Listen, the passage I always think of is the demon speaking to the guy going, Paul I know, and Peter I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? Well, that, I ain't nobody. I'll see you later. Have a nice day. Good to see you. Yeah, you take that back where you came from. I don't want none of it. You know, give me the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. That's all I'm interested in. But yet, you know, well, let's, I mean, we should dabble in the occult. No, you shouldn't. Leave that junk alone. There's, there's too much wickedness, too much junk, too much garbage. And all that stuff is put stuff in your mind, and you lay down at night, and you have crazy wild dreams because you're seeing stuff yet you should have never seen to start with. I mean, what in the, you know, I never saw what that, what was the old movie, The Exorcist? I never saw that, but, you know, the videos of girl, like, throwing up, you know, across the room or something in one of the trailers or something they had it used to be on TV when I was a kid. Like, well, I don't want to know about that. I got, don't put me in the room with that. I'm not interested in it. I mean, here's what's crazy to me about, the, about something like that is everybody turns to the Catholics to cast out devils. Like, they're the leader of the devils. Like, their pope is the devil. Like, he's, you know, he's the false prophet coming up in the tribulation, and you're turning to that guy to be the guy to get the devil out of you. I guess that's because he knows them, and they are similar spirits, and they have the ability to commune with one another. But... That's the reality of it, but that's the world people live in. You know, we should know about that stuff. We should know how to handle it. You know, what if somebody comes into our church and speaks in tongues? Let the preacher handle it. It's happened a couple of times. He's handled it perfectly well, in my opinion. Every time, every time it happens, I'm like, thank God he's here. Thank God I didn't have to deal with that. And you know what? Thank God there's some men in here who know how to help them people out of here and, you know, help them on down the road to the, you know, Holy Roller Convention or whatever it is. But that's the, that's the nature of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, you have a guy like Ahab in 1 Kings 21. He's a crybaby. The Bible says he turned upon his bed because Naboth wouldn't sell him the vineyard. We live in a day and age of crybabies. We live in a day and age of whiners who don't, well, I didn't get my way and I didn't get a thumbs up and they gave me a bad review. And So what? Listen, you're not going to make everybody happy. It doesn't matter how, and if you try, you're going to be miserable. So you know what you do? You do the best you can, and you press on, and you move, and you move on about it. But it's a, it's a picture, or it's a spirit of Antichrist to be a whiner. You know what God doesn't like about the nation of Israel? Through the whole entire time they're in the wilderness, 
murmuring and complaining. Why not? Well, I didn't get my way. Why are we out here walking? Why do I have to eat manna every day? Why do I have to eat quail every day? The Bible says they got tired of eating manna and he gave them quail up their noses. You want something different? Here you go. How about it? And I don't know about you, but you can only eat so much quail. It's good. I enjoy it. But you can only fix it so many different ways. It's not like a chicken. It doesn't have near the fat as a duck. Like, I could get why they got upset about it. But that's all they had. If you want something different, go find it. Yeah. You're, God's supernaturally giving you something every day that requires no effort on your part whatsoever. Quit complaining about having not put any effort forward. If you want, some, if you want something different, be like Esau and go out and kill a deer. Go, go out and find something else. Be like a hunter and go find something different if you want something different. Don't complain because of the food that's put on the table for you. You know, it's like when I was a kid, you came home, if mama had something on the plate and any of the three of us whined about it, well, then go to bed. You don't need none. Amen. If, if you don't want to eat it, grab a shower and hit the sack. You're good to go. You ain't got to eat. I paid for it. She cooked it. You, can, you ain't going to comment about it. Well, Lord, serve this up. Eat it. Didn't cost you nothing. It's there. Eat it. But too often times in our Christian lives, it's like, well, I don't like this. I want a little of this. I wish, I wish, I can't believe so-and-so is preaching tonight. I wish so-and-so was preaching tonight. I like, why, why don't this person ever sing? You don't sing enough. How come you don't do this? Pick up a shovel and get busy. Like, if you don't like it, do something to change it. Don't sit there and whine about it. But that's, that's what Ahab does. He whines about it. He cries. And then he goes and gets his wife to go for him. Do you know how embarrassing that has to be? To send your wife to take care of your business. I'm going to tell a really embarrassing story on myself um, because it's a good illustration and I had no control over it. I didn't send my mom to do this. But I had a girl in high school that I liked and we were supposed to be having a church function to go to and uh, I'd invite her to come to our church function and she broke up with me on the eve of the church function. And my mom made a point of calling her mom to tell her what a bad daughter she was. <laughs> now, do you know how embarrassing that was for me? I'm like, my, I'm 16 or 17 years old and my mom is fighting my battles. I'm like, hey, don't do that. Like, I don't want you telling somebody else's mom they got a bad daughter. Like, like stop. Because now, whenever I go to her church... Because I still, I went to youth camp and the Lord did something supernatural for me at the youth camp with her church um, that set me on the course of where I am today. But at their youth camp, I was, that's the guy whose mom called so-and-so's mom. That's embarrassing. But it doesn't seem to bother people today to have women fight their battles for them. It doesn't seem to bother people today to have somebody else take, you know, I got to take a stand for them. They're just too weak to do it on their own. They need a voice. They're just, they're just soft. Please don't ever say that about me. I mean, I'll never forget when Dr. Ruttman made the statement to the preacher one time, hey, I don't need you to fight my battles. If I need to deal with it, I'll deal with it. But you live in a day and age where everybody else needs an advocate. All these attorneys, we're, we're advocate. We'll get you what nobody else will get you. We care about you. We'll do this. No, you won't. All you're doing is patting your pocket. You figured the system out and you figured you can convince this person and dupe this person and shade a little here and shade a little there to pad your pocket while everybody else suffers from it. You want to know why the insurance market is terrible in the state of Florida? 
because of a bunch of crooked attorneys and crooked contractors. They figured out how the, the writing in the contract wasn't just perfect, and they found a loophole and justified, well, hey, we can charge this, and they'll pay this, and they'll do this, and the insurance have the money, so let them pay for it. We're not going after the homeowner. We're going after the insurance company. And you've got a bunch of crooked people that have done crooked business, and now you have no insurance in the state of Florida. And if you have homeowner's insurance, it costs like eight times what it cost a dozen years ago. Because a bunch of people wanted something for nothing, and a bunch of people got an advocate that they didn't really need. Those people in Washington are not your advocates. <laughs> Those people in the Tallahassee capital, as you know, as decent as a governor as we have, are not your advocate. They're interested in themselves and who they are and what they want. Amen. The advocate is Jesus Christ. Amen. If you want an advocate, go to Jesus Christ and let Him advocate to the Father for you. you got the Holy Spirit. Talk to Him and let Him talk to the Father for you and get you what you need. Amen. Quit looking for somebody else in a fleshly sense to be your advocate. Amen. That's Ahab. Ah Ahab's what he... It's just not fair. I just don't want it. And you know what? Get somebody else to do it for me. How wicked is that? That you get your wife to write a letter to get a man killed so you can have a piece of ground. And you go along with it. Like, he, he's the king for crying out loud. He has the ability to stop it. And he, go, and he just lays in bed and whines until it's over with. And he goes, oh, I got a vineyard. Yay. That's what many people do today. They whine and they cry and all of a sudden they get their check in the mail and it's like, yay! I'm, I did it. I got it. God blessed me. God, God gave me a million dollars. No, He didn't. You cheated, you lied, and you stole to get it. Or you let somebody else do it for you. You got a guy like Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 who mocks God and makes fun of God's people. And he makes fun of people who serve God. And he makes fun of people who walk after God. And he makes fun of people that are interested in the things of God because all he's interested in is, is himself. He's a big bad wolf. He's a bully. And you know what? The way to rely on a bully is in the name of the Lord. You know what? Lord, deal with you. To what David said. David said, I come to you in the name of the, in the, name of the, of the Lord God of Israel. He didn't, David didn't come in his own name. Listen, I, I realize David slung the sling and he had to put his effort in, but God guided that stone into, his, into the Goliath's forehead. Amen. I've shot at enough deer in my life to know when God guided the bullet inside of that deer and when I just flat out missed. Time wouldn't bear for me to tell the stupid stories of stuff where I've hit deer that didn't deserve to die. Um, let me rephrase that. Time, there's deer I've killed that I didn't deserve to kill. Let me say it that way. Because it wasn't a good shot. And I know God guided the bullet and put it in the animal and I got to harvest an animal. The Lord's behind every one of those things. The Lord, the Lord allows you and I blessings in our life that we don't deserve and He gives us gifts and He gives us things that, that, that are beyond our comprehension or beyond our abilities, beyond our opportunities, beyond, beyond who we are and then we want to take credit for them. I killed a deer at 900 yards. Maybe. I knew one guy that could kill a deer at 900 yards. Legitimately had skills to kill a deer at 900 yards. Anybody else I know? It was a wing and a prayer and, you know, maybe, just maybe, it'll get somewhere close. But too often times we see God do something in our life and we take credit for it. 
We go, oh, well, you know, I got this. Well, that's Goliath. He's making fun of God's people. He's making fun of what's happening with the Lord. He's going, I, you know, who are you? Come on down here. I'll, I'll show you who you are. I'll put you in your place. Well, I see that happening in the church. I see bullies in the church who have been around the church for a long time. And they're like, you know what? This little, this little pipsqueak, they're nobody. They're, they're, they're nobody. They're, they're not going to last. They're not going to stick around. Now, I don't see much of it in this church, but I remember as a kid coming up and be like, oh, that, that kid's never going to be anything. Well, you don't know. You don't, you don't know how he's going to lean on the Lord, how the Lord's going to guide his path. Well, that kid's going to turn out to be something until they're about 40 years old. There's a whole lot of stuff can happen between 5 and 40. There's a whole lot of life in there. Well, give the guy a chance. Don't, don't put somebody down. You, you don't know what God's doing in their life, and heaven forbid you're the person that keeps them away from Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what Goliath did. you got a guy like Jeroboam in 1 Kings 12. He lifts himself up. The Lord lifts him up. God says, I'm going to give you half the kingdom. And what does he do? He takes off and he runs to Egypt after God told him what he'd do. Listen, if God tells you he's going to do something, why don't you rely on God and his timing? You know, that's one of the things that amazes me about David, that I still, it just boggles my mind that David knew he was anointed of God. David knew he, that God's hand was on him. He knew he was going to be king one day. And David at three different times has an opportunity to kill Saul. And he goes, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not. It's not my time. When God's done with that guy, he'll put me in, in the place. And he does it. David doesn't rely on his own ability to get where God told him to go. Where God said he would get him to. David says, I'm going to just do what I'm supposed to do until God says, now it's your time. Until God puts me in that position, I'm not going to do it. Well, this guy, Jeroboam, runs down to Egypt, hangs out in Egypt, finds out that Solomon's dead, and then as soon as he finds out Solomon's dead, he comes back and he attacks the kingdom and splits the kingdom in two. Not because God brought him back. No, he comes back of his own accord, of his own physicality, and he goes and he, he goes, you know what? I'm going to go talk to these ten northern tribes because I know they're bitter at what Solomon did to him, and I'm going to gather me an army, and I'm going to, and I'm going to do something about it. How many times in your life has somebody done you wrong and you immediately start making phone calls to people going, uh, did you know so-and-so said this? Did you know so-and-so did this? Did you know so-and-so did this? And you start gathering an army. You start building an army to make a case for why you're right and everybody else is wrong. Why? If God said you're right, maybe God will reveal it. Let God reveal when you're right. Let God show when you're wrong. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He says you're supposed to pray for, pray for your enemy and that you might heap fires of coal upon his head that he may see the error of his way. Not that you heap fires of coal on his head so he burns in hell. No, so that he sees that he's wrong and he gets right over the thing. We're in a period of reconciliation, not a period of destruction. We're supposed to be reconciling people to Jesus Christ, not tearing them down. You see a brother that's in a fault, we're supposed to restore a brother in fault to you that are spiritual. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to be helping people and assisting people grow in Jesus Christ, not feathering our own nest and trying to make a name for ourselves. Listen, if God's called you to do something, praise God, but the time from the calling to the enabling to the, to the getting, gaining of the position or whatever it is, it may be years and years. Do you realize David, I think he's in the wilderness something like 20 years waiting on God to put him, in the, in the, in the, put him on the throne? He gets called when he's like 14 or 15, and I think he's like 35 when he gets put on the throne. Elisha pours water on Elijah's hands for 17 years before he becomes the prophet. Joshua follows Moses for 40 years in the wilderness before he gets to become king. 
Moses is 80 years old before he finally gets to see God put him in the place God wants him to be. Listen, just because God called you to do something doesn't mean tomorrow you're in the seat. It's just, hey, I got a plan for you. I'm giving you a little bit of foreshadowing of where I want you to be, so just hang on and be patient. For me, it's a little handful on purpose going, hey, God has a plan. At least I know He's going to use me. I don't know when, but at least I'm not just sitting on the bench. It feels like I'm sitting on the bench, but I'm not really sitting on the bench, but, I'm, but He's going to put me in the game sometime. Amen. Listen, I, I, I got to play sports growing up. I never liked sitting on the bench. Like, I didn't play sports to sit on the bench. Nobody plays a sport to just be a part of the team. You want to be in the game. Even if you're the, the strikeout king, you still want to be in the game. You still want an opportunity. Well, when God calls you, calls you to do something or asks you to do something, it's an opportunity to get in the game. Right. Just coach maybe going, not in the first inning, might be in the ninth. But you know what? In the ninth inning, having Mariano Rivera on the mound to pitch the closing outs is just as important as Andy Pettit preaching the first eight innings. And that's like a 2,000-year illustration of baseball because that's about all I remember right now. But having a good closer is just as important as, that, and have, as having a great starter. And when God's called you to do something, just be patient and know He's going to put you in your place when it's the right time for you to be in your place. Your job and my job is to just walk faithful day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out until God goes, okay, it's your turn. Mariano Rivera was a great closer, not because he only pitched three innings a week and that was all, I mean, three, three, three batters a week or three batters a game. No, he worked day in and day out on his pitches and what he did so that when it was his turn to be in the game, he didn't let the whole team down. And whether you realize it or not, every one of you has a seat in this church and you have a place in this church. And as the passage says, when David, over there with David and Saul, his seat was empty and he was sorely missed. There's places in this church you can look tonight and go, well, so-and-so sits there and they're not here. I wonder what's going on. So-and-so sits over there they're not here. I wonder what's going on. Miss Peacock sits right there. Oh, I know she's at the blowout. I hope she's okay. But you can't help when you've been in this church for a period of time to go, sister so-and-so sits there, brother so-and-so sits over here, and your mind's going, well, I wonder what's going on. I wonder, you know, you see brother TK out here, I wonder if there's a shooting. You know, something bad happened in Jacksonville. Like your mind begins, your seat's empty and you're sorely missed. Amen. Well, our job's to be where God wants us to be when God, when God calls us to be there so that when he says, it's your turn, you're ready to go. Well, these guys are, God's calling them, and they're doing everything else they can to build their own, build their own name, build who they are, make their own team, make, make themselves great because God's not doing it as quick enough for them. They're having to go get it on their own. They're having, to, they're having to build their own army. They're having to build their own empire instead of waiting for God to set them up. Listen, that's not God. What does Psalms 46.10 say? Be still and know that I'm God. Preachers was that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Amen. I think about the four Gospels and reading about our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I don't see there? He never runs anywhere. Amen. He walks. Amen. He takes his time. Now, you know when he comes, comes in a hurry? Revelation 19. When he's coming back with some white horses and a whole bunch of the, the body of Christ behind him on white horses and coming down. He's, 
that's not going to be a slow movement. I mean, I'd kind of like to see it in slow motion because that's going to look pretty cool to have, you know, 100 million people on white horses coming down through the universe and riding back with swords drawn and, you know, the, the flame of fire coming out, eyes like a dove, and here he comes with, with the white hair and, the, and this horse that's just muscles everywhere. I mean, that'll be kind of cool to, like, I'd love, I, I'm looking forward, I hope I get to ride a horseback, but I'd also hope that I could be on the side and kind of watch the thing come down. You know, I mean, like, be a spectator, but be in it. And, I mean, that's, it's like being on a team where I could, you can't mess up. You, you can't, you're not going to do anything dumb on that trip back. Like, the flesh is not a concern any longer. Like, I'm going to be able to think anything, yell anything, shout anything, and it'll all be the right thing. Well, in order to get that opportunity, the right to rule and reign with Him, it requires an effort now. It requires being patient. It requires giving Him preeminence in your life. It requires Him giving the throne of your heart and you taking a cross. It requires Him leading your life in the way He wants to lead your life, not you. You can't make it happen overnight. You can't get where God wants you to get overnight. Nobody, our preacher did not get in this pulpit overnight. He's been here 30-something years now. The faithfulness of what he's done, you've seen God bless and God bless and God bless and God bless. He's a greater preacher now than he ever was, and he was a great preacher when he started, in my opinion. He's unbelievable. But his ability to deliver a message now is greater because he's been faithful at it. He's gotten better. He's crossed over. um, I heard this not too long ago, the rule of 100. Have you all heard that? This It's some scientific thing. That if you have a talent or a gift that you work at for 18 minutes a day, every day for a year, you'll be better than 95% of people who have that talent or gift. Because it builds on itself every day. Every day. Every day. Can you read your Bible for 18 minutes a day? 365 times in a row. Can you pray for 18 minutes a day? I'll guarantee you that you lose 36 minutes a day somewhere throughout your day. It may not be all at once, but I'll guarantee you, you waste 36 minutes a day. Well, how about redeeming the time because the days are evil? And how about let's look at where we can invest that 36 minutes. And... Do I really need that news feed over 18 minutes of prayer? And you know what's wild about it? It doesn't have to be 18 consecutive minutes. It's 18 minutes a day. It's three minutes here, five minutes here, six minutes there. Five more minutes. Four more minutes. But it's the repetition of it. It's just being patient and going at it, and doing it day in and day out. And that's what the Lord's asking us to do. He's asking us to just walk faithfully with Him. All of these other guys, all of these other, these other types of antichrists, you have, I mean, I think we've, we've covered Cain, Abimelech, Nimrod, Sisera, Pharaoh, Sennacherib, Nebuchadnezzar, Solomon, uh, Goliath, uh, I hit Balak this morning briefly, Ahab, Nabal, guy loved himself, Jeroboam, 
every one of those guys wanted something God didn't want them to have. Their number one problem is they love themselves more than they love God. Amen. They wanted something when God didn't want them to have it. They, wanted them, they put themselves first, and they put themselves above everything God had ever given them to do. That's the picture of Antichrist. Me first, and everybody else second. Well, if you're going to be successful in Christian life, it has to be me last, and everybody else first. What is it? Joy? Jesus first, others second, yourself last? That's joy in the Christian life. Men, I realize you've worked a hard day and you want to come home and kick up your feet and just sit down for a few minutes and relax. Well, guess what? You got married and you had some kids. You got a responsibility to that wife and those kids before you sit down and relax. You don't get to just shove your responsibilities onto your wife because you've had a tough day. No, your tough day ends when their days are over and then you can sit down and enjoy your time. You want to play the game, pay the price. Take the responsibility and, and be what God's called you to be. That's being a Christian man. That's being a man that says, you know what? This is the right thing to do. It's the right thing for me to do to sit down at the dinner table with my kids. It's the right thing for me to do to pray with my family. It's the right thing for me to do to, to see my kids off to bed at night and not leave somebody else to handle it. But you know what? Oh, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm just stressed. Okay, I get it. You and every other brother in here. The weight of the world is upon your shoulders every day. I get it. So is, every, is everybody else. Everybody has turmoil. Everybody has difficulties. You're no different and no more special than anybody else. Your family needs you as much as you need your time off. You make time for yourself after their time's over with. But we live in this day and age where I mean, I've got to take care of me. You've got dads leaving homes because they don't want the responsibility of the thing they created. Amen. Right. Hey, men, it's time to step up and not just play the game, but, but take responsibility for your actions. We have a responsibility to be godly Christian men that point our wives and children back to Jesus Christ. We're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That means giving yourself out till you have no more energy, till you're done, until you just pass out and you lay down. I didn't say it's easy. I said, I told you this morning, the Christian life is tough. It's not for wimps. I mean, you know, the world wants to offer you, you know, all kind of sedatives to help you deal with the pain. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the best thing you can possibly take. Amen. You want the peace that passes all understanding? Follow him. Amen. Lean on him. Stop loving yourself and love Jesus Christ, and you'll come out where He wants to, where you're supposed to. Let's stand and we'll...